almost done with our current series, but we've still got this week and next week to go. And in this next portion of the letter, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17, that's where we're going to be together today, uh, Peter is wrapping up his discussion on the specific ways that Christians are supposed to live during their time as temporary exiles in this ungodly, hostile world. We talked a lot about that last week, and this whole discussion that he has had, uh, it spans several chapters in the letter of First Peter, and that section began all the way back in chapter 2, verse 11, and uh, we did talk about that quite a bit last week, about how we're supposed to respond uh, to people when they're hostile toward us, and how we are to respond to the government that's over us, uh, whether we agree with them or not, uh, all that is, is called of us as people who are part of the kingdom of God, uh, not just part of living here. And in just a second, we're going to see the word finally to start out the passage. That doesn't signal the end of the letter. That's just the conclusion of uh, his discussions about these very specific applications. It's like a professor or a teacher saying, in summary, or to sum up, you know, and then they go on and they talk quite a bit more. Uh, that's, that's really what he's doing. He's, he's just kind of setting up a, an ending point of the current discussion before he moves on to the next section that he wants to, uh, to address. So uh, starting in verse 8, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, look at that with me. I'll be reading from the CSB today. 1 Peter 3, 8, Peter says, Finally, all of you, he didn't leave anybody out, all of you means all of you, All of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Boy, that's hard. Be humble. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be like-minded. Be unified in your thinking and your mindset. Not easy things, but things that we are all called to, commanded to as believers. And what Peter says here is very similar to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2. Uh, Verse 2, Paul there says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way. There's that unity in mind. Having the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. You notice that contrast there? Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Something that is not natural to any of us. We all love ourselves more than someone else. All the time. And Paul continues in this passage, verse 4, he says, Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So once again, as we've seen throughout this whole letter, Peter and Paul, they are of the same mind. They're absolutely of the same purpose. And that's why you see so many similarities. So what Peter is is calling for in this uh, first verse here of this new passage that we're in today, and what Paul was addressing there in Philippians 2, is really, to summarize, you could say it's all about unity. They're stressing unity that the body of Christ, the church, is to be unified in everything they do, all that they are. Uh, we're not supposed to have little factions over here and over there and, 
and our own little uh, empires that we build up that are, that are uh, in opposition to others. You know, we, we don't have our own agendas that we're driving. And, and if it becomes a source of contention with someone else, well, then, you know, we go to war against them. That's not how the body of Christ is to function. We're to operate with a unified mind, a unified spirit, a unified purpose, and a shared humility. A good example of this uh, that's, I think, pretty obvious uh, is what we have every Sunday morning. Uh, it, just, it just got finished, the praise portion of our service, the worship time. We have a wonderful, wonderful gifted praise team up here every single week. Don't you think that they're amazing? Aren't you grateful for them? Yeah, you can applaud them. That's fine. Absolutely. I, I'm grateful every week for them preparing us to go into the presence of the Lord, to have the right mindset, the right heart, uh, to help prepare us for worship. And what, what happens up here is that each vocalist, of course today it was just Dan, but um, thankfully we, we often have more than just one vocalist uh, along with Pastor Matthew. Uh, each vocalist, you know, they're singing with their own voice, their own unique voice, and they sing different parts, but they're still singing the same song. Uh, the musicians, they play the different instruments and they play uh, the unique sounds that, that are unique to their instrument that they're playing. You know, the bass is different from the flute and drums are different from the guitar. But everyone sings and plays according to the same music. The same music. There's not a bunch of different songs up here happening at the same time. It's, it's one song that everybody's contributing to in harmony that's the key word, in harmony with one another. That's how the church is supposed to operate. That's how we are supposed to function together, in harmony. Unique, we're still our own people. I'm different from you and you're different from me, and that's fine. We're even going to look at things differently from time to time. That's okay too. But through the differences, and in fact overarching on those differences, the current that should run through all of us is is one of harmony, one of unity. Unity in mind, unity in heart and spirit, unity of purpose. And the importance of followers of Christ living in a, in a unified way like this, it wasn't just something that Peter and Paul and others were particularly or uniquely passionate about. Jesus himself, Jesus himself made sure to emphasize the need for unity in his last prayer before going to the cross. John 17, 21 records our Savior asking His Father, May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us. That's the standard, that's the benchmark of our unity that we're supposed to strive toward. Not our own version of unity or the way we define it. The way Jesus is one with His Father. That's how unified we are to be. And the reason for that, the reason he prayed that and wants that to happen within his followers is what he says in the next statement in his prayer. So that, I'm praying this, I'm asking, Father, that you work in them so that they are, are one uh, to the same degree that you and I are one, so that the world may believe you sent me. That's the goal of the church's unity. 
that the unbelieving world out there will see such unity in here that they cannot help but acknowledge that the difference is Jesus. That's what is to drive us, and and that's what we should be striving for. So that the world may believe that Jesus really did come, that He really is the only Savior. Why was that so important to Jesus and to Peter and Paul after Him? Why should that be just as important to us today, this unity? Because a divided world will never be drawn to a divided church. That's why this is to be so important. A divided world will never be drawn to a divided church. And I don't think I need to convince you at all of the fact that the world is very divided. In fact, I think it's safe to say that the world has never been more divided than it is right now. Uh, We don't have to look very far at all to see that that's true. So, at a time when the world has never been more divided, I want to suggest to you, church, it's never been more important for the world to see the church united. It's never been more important. And the more the world gets divided, the more it's important that they see something different as a contrast in us, that they see that we are, in fact, united. Looking back at 1 Peter... Uh, in this passage, 1 Peter 3, 9 through 12, um, the apostle writes this. So uh, he just got done saying that, that we are to be like-minded, we're to be sympathetic, we're to love one another, we're to be compassionate and humble. And he continues that thought, and this is uh, another contrast that he sets up. Verse 9, not paying back evil for evil. So be, be those other things. Be compassionate, be humble, be like-minded, be gracious, be sympathetic. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, which is the default mode of operating, by the way, as human beings. We see that everywhere. Don't do that. Don't pay back evil for evil. Don't pay back insult for insult. But... On the contrary, giving a blessing. Or you could, you could look at that as being a blessing. Since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. So not only are you going to bless others by being a blessing to them, you will also personally inherit a blessing. And as he's done all along in his letter to help make his point here, Peter refers to the Old Testament and specifically quotes from Psalm 34 12 through 16 in these following verses, starting in verse 10. So here's the quote from Psalm 34 to back up what Peter is saying here in verse 9. Verse 10 says this, For the one who wants, remember this is a quote from Psalms, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, which I think is everybody, I think we want to have good days, we want to have a good life, we want to enjoy life and, and to see good days. You want that to happen? Here's what you're to do. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You see how that fits together with what Peter said in verse 9? Not paying back evil for evil, not insult for insult. That's what uh, is, is being stated here in this psalm. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Hunt for it. 
deer season, I think, is in full swing right now, and, and so there's a whole lot of pursuing going on. I don't know if there's a whole lot of catching, uh, but there's certainly a lot of pursuing going on, and, and um, that's the imagery here. It's, it's hunting peace, pursuing it, to grab onto it. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let him turn away from evil. Let him not speak in a deceitful manner. That's how you're going to be able to love life. That's how you're going to see good days. That's how you're going to be a blessing and receive blessing. Why is that so important? Here's our motivation for that in this psalm. Verse 12, again, this is still quoting from Psalm 34. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So in other words, there is nothing that goes beyond God's glance. He sees it all. He comprehends it all. He understands it all. He mines down deep into our very soul. He doesn't just know what we're thinking or what we're going to say. He knows the reasons behind it. He knows even our very motivation. There's nothing that escapes his notice. There's nothing that escapes his being aware of what's going on in the heart. And we need to be mindful of that as well. Back on verse 9, when Peter said not to pay back evil for evil or insult for insult, um, once again, my thoughts go back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And I would wager that's where the Holy Spirit took Peter's thoughts too as he wrote that statement not paying back evil for evil, not insult for insult. Matthew five thirty-eight through 39 Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, get revenge. When you're treated wrongly, when you're treated badly, when you, when you are mistreated, give it right back to them. You've heard that's what's been said. That's, that's the, the mode of operating. Uh, and certainly that was a very common sentiment in that day. And so Jesus is saying, I, I know that this is, this is common thought. You've heard that it was said, this is how you're supposed to do. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, retaliate. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. That was pretty significant. That would have been pretty hard for everyone to, to just hear and be all right with. I mean, that would have gone completely against the conventional wisdom of the day. That would have been radical, would have been extreme. And that's what Jesus is instructing to happen. And that's what Peter is instructing there in verse 9. And the reason that those things are said, the reason Jesus emphasized that, the reason Peter did, the reason that is so significant is because of this fact. How we respond, how we respond, matters more than how we are treated. How we respond matters more than how we are treated. No one likes to be treated poorly. No one likes to be mistreated. No one likes to be abused and, and uh, to be treated in a hostile manner. And it doesn't make those things okay. It doesn't excuse those things as being all right. But what it does mean is that we're called to a higher standard as Christians, as the church. 
And we may not be able to control at all what anyone else does and how they treat us, but what we can do and must do is control how we respond or how we react. And the natural response to hostility of any kind and getting wronged in any way is retaliation, revenge, responding the same way or more so. That's the natural response. That's what comes easy and naturally to all of us. You know, you, you get cut off on the road. Someone pulls out in front of you, cuts you off. Your, your tendency is to respond in kind, right? To retaliate. Uh, someone gets in front of you in line in the grocery store when you're already exhausted and, and the lanes are already clogged and you've got a cart full of stuff and maybe you've got a, a crying child and you're just trying to keep your sanity and to keep from exploding and someone gets in your lane or, or you know, knocks something down in your cart. Um, maybe it's a, it's a harsh text message that you receive, a very critical judgmental text message or an email. The natural thing to do is to say, well, I'll show them to respond in kind and to, to go even beyond. They're going to do that to me. Well, they better be ready. You know, get ready. I'm in a fire with both barrels. Retaliation. The same kind of response or even more of a negative response. That's what's natural. Getting even. Revenge. You've probably seen a bumper sticker or something to the effect of, I don't get mad, I get even. You've seen that, right? That's the prevailing philosophy of our culture and of our society. And it's always been. And what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, and what Peter is saying in his letter here is, that's not what believers are called to. That's not how we are to function and act and react How we respond when people treat us badly matters more than us being treated badly. It's a different category for Christians. As Christians, when we are treated badly, instead of responding in kind, we are to respond in kindness. That's how we are to to act and to live and to function. I want to give you a, a powerful example uh, in the modern era of how that is absolutely possible. It's not possible for us on our own, in our strength. I mean, naturally, it's not possible, but supernaturally, it is. And my friends, that's what we're called to live according to, is the supernatural way of doing things. We're not called to live naturally any longer. If you've given your life to Christ, Second Corinthians 5 Uh, 17 tells us that we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a new way of operating, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new way of acting and reacting, a new way of responding. We're not called to live naturally. We're called to live supernaturally. And God doesn't call us to anything that He does not also provide the means to do. So He calls us to live supernaturally. Guess what? He gives us supernatural power in the Holy Spirit indwelling us to enable us to live supernatural lives. And here's a really powerful example of just that. There's a pastor named Farid in Syria. And death threats against him are so common that he can't track them all. Except the one time he was able to. It was 30 30 death threats. He knew that because they were spray-painted and numbered on the front of his home. 
Number one was, this is how we're going to kill you. Number two, this is how we're going to kill your wife. Number three, this is how we're going to kill your children. And on and on and on it went. War-torn, radical, uh, Muslim-controlled, terrorist-controlled Syria. This pastor trying to live supernaturally, to live according to what Peter is saying to do, to not respond with violence to violence, not insult to insult, with uh, show compassion, show love, show humility, you know, model Christ. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring people to Christ so that they become new creations like he did. And the response was these, these, these death threats. And a large portion of death threats came by text message from a man named Rashid. Someone once asked Pastor Farid why he didn't just replace his phone so Rashid couldn't terrorize him anymore. And Farid said this, No, Rashid's threats remind me to pray for him every day. Nobody else will, so I will. Isn't that amazing? Death threats to him, to his family, constantly being inundated. And he didn't get rid of the phone so that he could be reminded to pray for the one that was leveling these threats. And as amazing as that is, Fareed did more than pray. He went to Rashid's home, and he visited with him, despite the tension and how intense that visit was. And as Fareed was leaving, he surprised Rashid by saying, I have a gift for your family. And he handed him a Bible. And in the Middle East culture, if someone offers a gift to you or your family, you don't turn it down. No matter what the gift is, no matter how you might feel about them, you, you accept it. You accept it in that culture. And so Rashid did. He accepted the Bible from this pastor that he had been sending all these uh, death threats to repeatedly by text message. He accepted the Bible, holding it with two fingers like it was poison. And some weeks later, Rashid was trapped in his building because of a recent bombing. The Quran wasn't offering him any comfort. No comfort at all in the Quran. Imagine that. So he picked up the Bible that Pastor Fareed had given him and he read it until 6 a.m. the next morning. And along the way of reading that, he fell in love with Jesus Christ. And Rashid now writes worship songs for the church in Syria. It's possible, folks. It's possible to live in a completely opposite way of the way everybody else in the world lives. It's possible to live supernatural lives. It's possible to love supernaturally. It's possible to show compassion and grace and humility supernaturally. And that's what we're called to. To close out this passage, 1 Peter 3, 13-17, we'll draw your attention to that. 1 Peter 3, 13-17. So, after saying these things about the importance of being like-minded and sympathetic and loving one another and not paying back evil, 
for evil, not insult for insult, but rather being a blessing. Peter says this, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. That's certainly what Pastor Fareed experienced. That's what he believed and he lived out and he experienced. Even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Another echo of Christ's words from Matthew 5 when he said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted. When people say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be glad, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Peter goes on, verse 14, Do not fear them or be intimidated. So the ones inflicting your suffering as you are living righteously, the ones persecuting you, don't fear them, don't be intimidated. But rather, verse 15, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Ready at any time, in season, out of season, convenient when it's not convenient, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready at any time. When, the, when it's good, things are good, things are easy, it's going well, it's easy to be a Christian, and the times when it's bad, when it's not convenient or easy at all to be a Christian, ready at any time to give a defense, an explanation, a justification for the reason for the hope that is in you. Verse 16, here's an important uh, clarifier though. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. In other words, that's how you silence their accusations. It's not by responding in kind, not hurling insults back at them, not attacking them. It's by living a holy, completely different life so that they can't help but see the difference in your life and ask you, where is this coming from? Why do you live this way? And you can give the reason, and the reason being Christ. Verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What does all this mean for us? It means that the differences in a believer's life should be impossible for an unbeliever to ignore. The differences in a believer's life should be impossible for an unbeliever to ignore. That's how we are supposed to live, church. So it begs the question, are you living that way? Are you living in such a way day by day, moment by moment, in season, out of season, in such a way that it is impossible for anyone to see anything in you other than Christ-likeness? Are you living in such a way that you would be one of the first people to be persecuted if persecution came? That there would be no question at all whether or not you were a follower of Christ, whether or not you were going to be the subject of persecution from someone else. 
What is your life telling others? What is it pointing to? What is it pointing out? Are there differences in your life that that are just absolutely impossible for someone to ignore? And are you living in such a way that you're, you're full of such light and full of such love and full of such joy and full of such hope that people on the outside looking in at your life cannot help but at some point ask you where this is all coming from? What is different about you? Like, are you living in such a way that those around you in your circle of influence are compelled at some point or will be compelled to get you aside and say, what is it with you? That's the question we all have to ask. Are we living in such a way that the differences are impossible for the unbelievers to ignore? And if persecution, if hostility came, would we be an easy target because of how we live? Paul told Timothy that it's a fact that all who desire to live godly lives in and for Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross, and and it rings true for us today, that the world will hate you. And if it hates you, it's because you're truly a follower of mine, and, and they hated me, so they're going to hate you. And as they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. It's a fact. So are we living according to the type of things that are going to make us targets of hostility and, and uh, persecution if that happens? And if it happens, when, when it happens, we need to heed what Peter said there at the end, that it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. So none of this, none of this was limited to the early church. Nor is it limited just to churches in other countries in our day, like Syria and, and other places. I want to I tell you that I firmly believe that the longer our Savior remains from coming, the longer His return is, is tarried, the more and more we're going to see very real opposition and hostility and persecution come against the church. Yes, even in the land of the free and the home of the brave. We saw beginnings of that just a couple years ago. Uh, look at California. You know, at the height of all the restrictions and shutdowns with the COVID pandemic and what took place there in, in California, and just north of us, what took place to a much greater degree in Canada, where the authorities were actually going to church property, changing the locks on the churches so that people couldn't come in and worship. There were at least two pastors that were actually imprisoned because of continuing to meet to worship. So what we see is that it doesn't take that much to trigger such things. And that we probably aren't too far off from seeing more of it here. What will the next thing be that gives the powers that be the justification to clamp down? I don't know. But I think it's a safe bet to say they'll find a way, don't you? When those times come, 
whatever form they take, the differences in a believer's life should be impossible for an unbeliever to ignore. We need to keep all this in mind, church. We need to be proactive, not reactive. Proactive and prepared in how we live each and every day through the power of the Spirit in us. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the relevance of it, the timeliness of it. Thank You for the way, Holy Spirit, You inspired Peter to write, to mention things that not just his original audience that that did face persecution and experienced hostility, not just for them to benefit from and be encouraged by, but for us today as well. It's, It's amazing how relevant and timeless Your Word is. Help us to apply what we've read together today, what we've heard. Help us to make personal application by Your Spirit. May we be people that love well. May we be people that respond differently when we are treated badly because how we respond matters more than how we're treated. Help us to remember that a divided world will never be drawn to a divided church. They have enough division to last a lifetime. They need to see in us something vastly different, an extreme contrast. They need to see us unified Please help us to be unified and help us to live lives in such a way that it's impossible for any unbeliever around us to ignore the differences that Jesus has made. Help us in this, I pray, Father, according to the power of your Spirit in us, and it's in and for the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.